So glossophobia is the fear of public speaking. It's a very common fear. Perhaps 75% of all people have a fear of public speaking. Um, it's right up there on the list of top fears, right there with spiders and heights and germs and death. It's, it's, there, it's all right up there. Now imagine, I don't know the name for it, but the fear of public praying out loud, that people are, can be very afraid to pray out loud in front of other people. Um, you know, will I get it right? Uh, will people judge me? You know, whenever, I, whenever I'm in a group, you know, and it comes time somebody needs to pray, they're like, oh, pastor, you're the pro, you do it. You know, people don't want to do it. You know, I'd ask a show of hands for those who would be uh, not inclined to pray in public, but you're probably not inclined to raise your hand in public either. So, uh, but, you know, the funny thing is, though, and what I found so many times is that someone will say, oh, I'm really not good at this. I'm not good at praying out loud. And then they pray out loud. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. There's something about the simplicity and innocence of prayer and somebody who doesn't want to. You know, people who really want to pray and they do these big, flowery, elaborate prayers, that's kind of not always what we need. And uh, there's a beauty to, to those who even in their uh, humility and in, in their timidity, uh, you know, want to pray out. Um, and Jesus, you know, was clear in his teaching. He said, you know, we don't need to pray on street corners so that everybody hears, you know, can hear how spiritual you are. And Jesus said, you know, prayer, individual prayer, something maybe you do privately. And Jesus said, you don't need to use a lot of words when you pray because God already knows. And you're, it's not like you're going to coerce God with your eloquent prayer or your many words, although we are to be persistent in prayer. But there does come a time when we are to, when we're gathered together, that we pray for one another. We pray out loud. And that, that's such a blessing. I love being prayed for. I don't know if you've had that opportunity where somebody just said, hey, you know what? I'm going to pray for you and blessing over you. And they just call out to the Lord out loud in a way that you can hear. And it's just such a blessing that somebody is trusting God with you. And, and, sometimes, and I pray for people all the time. I love doing it. And then every now and then someone will say, hey, you know what? You just prayed for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you. And it's just blessing on top of blessing. It's, it's, it's such a gift. So here we have Jesus doing this very thing. He's praying for his disciples. And this is uh, Jesus. He's just finished. We've been looking over the last number of weeks. Very significant teaching of Jesus. Perhaps the most important teaching he's going to give them. Now he prays the most important prayer that he can pray for them. And uh, so this is, this is significant. It's the longest prayer of Jesus that we have recorded in the scriptures. And uh, a very significant Prayer and, and you know after we have a significant significant conversation, we do want to pray, and not just what we call zipper prayer. Have you heard of this in, in church? Churchy people love to do this. So you're having a meeting, and you before you start the meeting, you're like oh somebody should pray, and you zip open the meeting in prayer, and then you do all your business and you talk. Okay, okay, somebody we can't leave because somebody has to close this thing. Zip it shut with prayer, and that's just kind of zipper prayer. But, and that's not this here. This is where you're in a conversation and it's so weighty and what you're talking about is so heavy and, and big and you just have to trust. You just have to stop your talking and you just have to pray to God. And that's what Jesus, uh, Jesus, God the Son, prays to God the Father here. And so we sometimes call this Jesus' high priestly prayer or truly it's the Lord's Prayer. Now we pray what we call the Lord's Prayer it's really the disciples' prayer. It's, it's the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. But this here is the words of our Lord Jesus praying to the Father. And so we're going to just dig into this. Uh, there's kind of three main sections of this prayer. We have Jesus praying for himself. 
Jesus praying for his disciples. And then next week, the last part we'll look at is Jesus praying for, uh, for his church, believers of all time. And so we'll take a look at that next week. We'll look at these first two today. So let us pray as we begin. So Father, we thank you for gathering us here in this place. And we do pray to you. And we thank you for the gift of prayer. And as we look at the words that our Lord Jesus prayed for himself and for his followers, Lord, I pray that you just open our hearts to understand your heart, to understand the heart of Christ in a deeper way, in a way that might uh, propel us into our, our life of faith with you, Lord. So we thank you to have this time. We pray that you would be our teacher, and we do pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so here we have Jesus. He prays for himself first. And so in verse 1, we see he prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. And we realize as Jesus prays for himself, he's really obsessed with the glory of the Father. He's, he's praying for himself that he would have this glory, but really it's, that, it's so that the Father may be glorified, that his focus, even in this moment of he's, he's, he's about to go to the cross, Right after this comes his, his, uh, his betrayal and his arrest and, and the trial and his crucifixion. He's, he's at, the, at the lowest point, at the, most, the point of anguish, and yet he's still praying that his heavenly Father, that God the Father would be glorified. Because what happens is as Jesus finishes his task, God is proved to be right, that his promises to, the, to save the world are true promises, that the love of God is tremendous, and Jesus is going to get to display that, and it's going to make God look good. So, and, and what Jesus is doing in that is he's bringing eternal life uh, to his followers. Verse 2 says, you granted him authority, the Son, you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. And then this interesting definition of eternal life in verse 3. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That eternal life isn't just about something that, we, we often talk about eternal life as, you know, you live life and then you die, and then on the other side there's eternal life. But here Jesus says, actually, eternal life isn't about everlasting life so much as, as it is about life knowing the everlasting one. It's a life in fellowship with the God of the universe and Jesus is accomplishing what it will take to have people to truly know God and to truly receive his salvation. So eternal life is something that starts in the moment of faith and it continues through life and even beyond death. So yes, it is truly everlasting and eternal life. But it's, it, the, the heart of that life is knowledge of God, fellowship with God. And Jesus said, you know, I'm going to bring glory by finishing the work that, that the Father sent, sent to do. And just as any you know, good work that is sent to do when it's finished, it brings glory to the one who gave it. For example, a student who completes the work and succeeds in academics brings glory to the teachers who, who taught, makes them look good. You know, an athlete who performs well and who follows the instruction and practices hard and performs brings glory to the, you know, honor to the coaches. A hard worker brings honor to their company by doing good work and, and providing for clients and, and doing it completely. And here Jesus said, the Father has sent me to do something. I'm going to do it completely. And then the Father will be glorified. He will be honored. And so, you know, we think about Jesus in this moment. 
His focus is not on his anguish, not on his suffering. It's on the glory of the Father. And I think as a church, this kind of his heart, Jesus' heart, is our heart. That we need to finish the work that God's given us to do. That's why we that's why we serve the way we do. That's why we are passionate about our community. That's why we give the way we give. This is why we pray. This is why we study scripture together. This is why we do what we do so that we can finish the tasks that God has put before us so that he can be honored in our lives. We are to live our lives to the glory of God. And we do that collectively, but also individually. That our, our lives can be lived to God's glory. Now, if we don't live life to God's glory, what, inevitably, what inevitably will happen, and this is what happens to me, when we don't live to God's glory, we ultimately live to our own glory. We, we live to achieve our own successes, uh, to build something for ourselves, our career, our reputation, maybe raising your family a certain way, maybe overcoming an obstacle in your life or whatever accomplishment that you have before you, if the focus is not God's glory, the focus will be our own glory. Well, here's the problem with that. The problem with that is that my glory is fragile. My glory is hard to keep up because I'm imperfect. It's hard to maintain. If the goal of my life is my glory and what I can accomplish and what I can do for myself, I'll, there's a lot of pressure in that. I'll always be craving validation from other people. I'll always need stamp of approval. If, if people are not approving of me, I'm going to be crushed by that. I'm going to be devastated if I'm criticized. I'll always have fear of failure. I'll always have this anxiety that, um, that I'm not going to fully achieve everything because I'm trying to protect my imperfect glory, and my glory is very fragile. But God's glory is eternal. And Jesus says in his prayer that his glory existed before the world even began. That God, in, in and of himself, had glory. So he has this eternal glory. But we can chase our own glory and all these things that will never truly satisfy. And I praise God. I'm seeing a generation of young people in the life of our church and in our area. I don't know if it's all over the place, but I'm seeing it here where uh, young people have sort of lived life for themselves and have followed, you know, the dominant worldview of our day is, does not include God. It's a very secular worldview. It's a, it's a worldview where you just need to, uh, you know, find your most authentic you and have this, uh, this expressive individualism that you live out. And, and I see young people try to live that and I see there's nothing there. It's just very hard to maintain that. And, and putting all that aside and seeking the glory of God. See, saying, you know what? I'm gonna, I could live for myself. I'm going to live for the Lord. And, and investing in that and calling other people to that. And it's a beautiful thing because we can either live life for our own glory or we, or we live it for the glory of God. And here, as Jesus prays, we see that his heart is for the glory of the Father. Secondly, we have Jesus now praying, not for, just for himself, but now he's praying for his disciples. Verse 9 says, uh, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. So Jesus makes a big distinction right here, a dividing line through humanity. He said, I'm not praying for everybody in the world. I'm praying for the ones who you've given me, the ones who have believed in my name. Uh, the, the, and it, really, the dividing line is the word of God between the world and the disciples. Verse, look at verses 6 through 8 here. Jesus prays, I've revealed you to those whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now, 
they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. So what Jesus is saying is, there are those who the Father has called, and his word has gone to them, and it's been received by faith. They believe that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Christ, and they, are, they put their faith in his word. And that answering that question, who is Jesus, is the dividing line of humanity. And if you answer, he was a good person, or an interesting teacher, or had a good moral, it, that won't change a thing. But if you say, no, that he is who he said he was. He is the Son of God, who is the Savior of the world. And when faith comes in that way, that it, those who by faith accept that are pulled out of the world, or they're, they're designated separate from the world, so Jesus prays for, for those ones. And he prays, first of all, for their protection. Verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. So you can see why this is an important prayer. The prayer is to protect them because they're different from the world now. There's a dividing line. They are the people of faith. But they're still in that world, and that world is going to be a difficult place. There are going to be, Jesus has just told them, in this world you'll face trials. In this world you may face hardship. But Jesus said, take heart. Now he's praying to the Father and saying, protect them in the world, because they're still in it. Look at verse 15 and 16. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one, for they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Right? So you've now been rescued out of a world of sin and brokenness and darkness. You've been given a whole new standing, but you're still living in a world, you still have to live in that world of sin and brokenness and darkness. And that's where protection is a very important prayer for us. Uh, Verse 14, I've given them your word and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. I mean, again, Jesus saying this over and over. It's like the you're citizens of heaven, you have, a whole new, you have a whole new family, you have a whole new status, but you've got to live it out in a world that you're going to face difficult things. So the goal isn't to escape this world. That's not the prayer of Jesus. The prayer isn't that we could just, maybe if we could just hang on and then someday I'll die and go to heaven, then I'll be all set. And it's also not, maybe we could just kind of circle the wagons, people of God, and just sort of take care of each other and live in this bubble. No, here Jesus is saying, no, you're going to be living out what it means to be my people in in the middle of a world that is hard. So protect them. And then that protection is is actually going to unify the people. Back to verse 11. Protect them, and it's so that, so that they may be one as we are one, that the unity of the Father and the Son... Is, is a, becomes sort of the image of the unity of the people as we are protected in the name of God, by the power of God, that we are united. That's why we as a church are, we take relationships seriously, that we need to be united to one another because we're all seeking to live out in, a, in the world. It's, it's hard. So you ask, well, you know, why would, why would you do game night on a Friday? That doesn't seem very spiritual. Why have a chili contest? That definitely doesn't seem... Spiritual, although I had a kind of a spiritual moment one year. I ate all the 30 different chilies, and then I was hallucinating that night. I don't know why. So I don't know what was in, in those uh, 
Most of the time it's fine, but man. Um, <laughs> I had some weird dreams. My point is that <laughs> we gather for fellowship and for fun and laughter, but we also gather to, to pray for one another and carry each other's burdens and to cry together and to, to grieve and to, to encourage one another towards that which is truly good. And so we are just so dead serious about a gathering for fun, but also gathering in small groups to study God's word together. That's why we've been doing this second Sunday small group spotlight, which we'll do next week. Um, but we want to highlight this ministry of fellowship and of um, walking together because unity is an important part of our protection living in this world. So the first thing Jesus prays is for the protection of, of his disciples. And the second thing is he prays for their sanctification. So just look at verses uh, 17 through 19 here. Jesus prays, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you've sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. So the word sanctified is based on the same word for holy, that it's a, it's, sanctification is essentially the process of being made holy. What is holy? Holy means set apart, other. It means being set for a special purpose. So what Jesus is saying is that just as he is perfectly holy, perfectly set apart for his purpose, that we are, for God's good purpose, set apart from the world, and that we are in a process of being made more and more different, really more and more like Christ, so that we can live out that mission. That's why sanctification and mission go, go hand in hand. And the way Jesus prays it, it's a sanctification sandwich. Take a look again. Look at the sandwich. So it's, it's sanctification and then mission and the sanctification. So here, verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Okay, that's the upper bread. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Okay, that's the sending. That's your mission. And then the bottom bread is verse 19. For them I sanctify myself. So sanctification, sanctification. And in the middle is our mission. That God is working in us um, his will and his transforming power to sanctify us so that we can not be withdrawn from the world and also not to be confused with the world, but to be a witness in the world in which we live. That's our mission. So we have this mission. As, as Christ was sent into the world, so we are sent into the world. So what is that mission? It's the same as Jesus' mission. We're to proclaim God's kingdom. We're to love excellently. We're to, to serve those in need. We're to bring healing where we can, to proclaim that Jesus is the Christ and the Savior of the world. And this is why we, this is why we do what we do. But he's equipping us to do it. And then we, we fulfill that mission. And then just as Jesus fulfilled his mission, God was glorified. We fulfill our mission. God is glorified. But we also experience the joy of having life with meaning and purpose and significance. Uh, verse 13. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Jesus said, if you grasp this, you're going to live a life not just of purpose, but the joy of living this way. And again, it's, it's lived out in the context of the world. So as you grow in faith, you don't then move to a monastery or just ship off to a seminary somewhere. That would be kind of a cut-off Christianity. Jesus' vision is not that you go and isolate, but that you go back out to, to be that blessing to your world and being faithful to that mission. And, and so that's, 
That's what this is all about. When Jesus prays for us, when Jesus prays for himself, when he prays for his people, this is what all of life is about. Jesus prays for himself that the Father would be glorified. He prays for his disciples that they would be protected and unified and that they would be sanctified, that they would be truly being set apart for God's good purposes. That's his prayer for us. Let us pray. So, Father, um, this is what life is all about. It's, it's about your glory, Lord. It's so easy to live for our own successes, our own ambitions. Lord, help us to be people who truly live um, for your glory. You, our creator, the God who, who made us, who loves us, who came to rescue us, Lord. So I just pray that we would um, embrace that by faith and then live out this beautiful mission that you have equipped us for, to love and to serve and to proclaim your goodness to all people, Lord. So we just uh, pray that you would continue your sanctifying work in us, Lord, not because we are so good, but because you are powerful, that you would transform us to be more and more like Jesus every day. And we do pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.